right, here we go. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? I'm going to try that again. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? I should be the only one that's tired right now. It's not even fair, okay? I'm doing all the talking today. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Avenue Church. Uh, my name is Justin Littlejohn. I am not the pastor of the Avenue Church. We have Pastor Tara right here. Pastor Dave will not be with us this morning. He's slinging the gospel uh, somewhere um, in a Houston suburb this morning. So he's missing you guys this morning, and he's asked me to be substitute teacher this morning. Is that all right with everybody this morning? All right. So the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series, uh, sermon series titled In My Feelings, okay? And if you've missed it, I highly encourage you to go back and watch the previous messages, all right? Aaron started us off in week one, okay? And he talked about strongholds, and he talked about the importance of learning to free ourselves of the, in the mind and look up to Jesus, okay, who is our help. And then Pastor Dave came in, and he gave us an amazing message on, our, on parenting and, and how we all have to grow and adapt and, and mature from the backgrounds that we have. And it varies from person to person, experience to experience. But no matter what, our ultimate goal that we're seeking is freedom. And then last week was probably, I told Pastor Dave, probably one of my favorite messages I ever heard him teach on. He taught about like father, like son. And that was just learning to look back in our families, ask questions to our parents, our, our moms, our dads, and, and learn about what's in our family tree so that we can prepare ourselves for the challenges that we might face. Because whether you know it or not, there is something in the Bible that's, that, that talks about the generational cycles, okay? the generational cycles of things that we deal with or that we might be challenged with that we might be susceptible to, okay? So we, if we know ahead of time, okay, it can help shape our decisions so that we find ourselves in more favorable conditions. Does that make sense, everybody? So today I'm going to be concluding the In My Feeling series, all right? And I have a, a lot to talk to you about, okay? But before I get into the meat and potatoes of today's message, okay? I want to share some things with you about my background, okay? Kind of let you know where all this began. So, in high school, okay, I'm from a, a city called Mount Pleasant, also close to Columbia, Tennessee, all right? And in high school, I was with my four brothers, all right? I got four brothers. I'm the third of four. And um, just to make, just to give you the rundown, okay, me and my brother were probably the worst students in the history of Mount Pleasant High School, okay? And it wasn't like we wasn't doing anything too crazy or, or destroying anything. We were just complete and utter clowns, okay? So if you've ever been in education, you're a teacher or anything, okay, we were the ones in the classroom, uh, in the hallways, right? The teachers would be by their doors talking, and they would be, we would be the ones they were talking about. I pray I don't get the little John. Did you get a little John boy? Did you get a little John boy? And we're just walking around. We're doing our thing. We're causing turmoil, wreaking havoc on the school. And we would literally hear our teachers say this, like, oh, man, we don't, don't get a little John. Don't get a little John. Now, in addition to that, okay, in addition to that, we had three sisters, all right? We had three sisters that did everything right, straight-A students. Several of them uh, are working on engineering degrees, and one is an engineer, okay? So the complete opposite. You got the A-plus honor students, and then you got the four boys that help everybody get a curve on the grade, 
So some of y'all would have liked me, okay, because you would have got the B, and I would have been the reason why you got that scholarship, because when you have a 12, it takes a pretty big curve to get it up there, okay? So I was ruining the class average at the same time, but I was making scholarship opportunities as well, okay? It's all about perspective, okay? It's the way you want to look at it. All right, and I use a little humor, okay, to introduce that, but the best way for me to put it, okay, If you grew up watching the Hunger Games, if you know anything about the Hunger Games, this is the best way to visualize what it was like with the four Little John boys on a high school campus, okay? When we walk up to the classroom, my name is Justin Little John. I'm in your social studies class. May the odds forever be in your favor. And then I would just turn, I would just turn and look at my brother before he went. And if you don't watch the Hunger Games, you don't know what I'm talking about right now. But it was the Hunger Games for my teachers. If you're watching, I'm so sorry. Um... Ultimately, however, I actually would go on to graduate 57 out of 60 in my graduating class. I graduated um, from credit recovery. Y'all know anything? Hopefully you don't know anything about credit recovery. Okay? Nothing in my life said success. Nothing in my life said that we would do anything great. Okay? And, 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 and I'd use some humor in that. Okay? But in all reality, you know, as, as, as we get ready to dive into the topic of the day, in all truthfulness, okay, I use humor, but in all truthfulness, some of those comments that were said about me, right, let's be honest, they lingered and they hurt, okay? I can laugh about them now. It's easy to laugh about it now with a master's degree and going on my seventh year in education, right? But that wasn't the future that I always saw for myself, right? There's times today where I still question my intellect. I question my academic ability, um, in fact, when I, I just had my sister come visit me, the one that's an engineer that ruined the curve for y'all, okay? And when I actually, when I was introducing her to people, okay, I actually presented her as being so much smarter and so much more intelligent than me. Why? Because I realized, man, I've heard that in my whole entire life, like the comparisons to my sisters and how great and how intelligent they are. And it gets me looking at myself inwardly, okay? And I forget the gifts and the talents that God's put inside of me. Now, flipping that to you. I know for some of you, that may not be your story, okay? Maybe your story's something different. Maybe you were told you were never going to be good enough, or the only thing that you've ever heard was criticism about the way you do things, okay? And it's just eating at you and eating at you. Well, you're not alone, okay? And today, I want to take these moments that we have together, okay, to share with you a message that I believe is from God and a message that I believe is going to bring healing to some of the experiences and some of the labels and the words that have been said about you that don't truly reflect who you are in the eyes of God. Does everybody understand that? You see, because in order for you to understand who you are and to walk in greatness, you first have to understand that God wants you whole. He wants you healthy. John, uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 This is what scripture says. It says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Okay. It is God's will. Okay. For us to come to the understanding that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and created for good works. So I mentioned the soul. What is the soul? The soul is the part of your inner makeup that consists of your mind, your heart, your thoughts, and your feelings. 
And in order for us to prosper and become who God made us to be, we must allow God the access to change our mind, our heart, our thoughts, and our feelings about ourselves. So, this morning, we're going to look at the lives and the examples of two kings and the labels that they carry, because each one of them carry labels. And as we reflect on their lives, it is my prayer and my hope that you allow the word, okay, as seed to be planted in your heart and blossom, okay, and change your perspective and your mindset about how God views you and who you really are. Is that okay? Bow your head with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you right now. We thank you for this time that we get to congregate and dive into your word. We thank you, Lord, that as the word goes forth today, Father, that it lands on good soil, Father. I know it may be full of rocks at times, and it may be broken and, and, and shattered, Lord, but I thank you, Father, that you're bringing healing in here through the power of your word. And I thank you that transformation is coming to the Avenue Church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever felt like people see you, but you're not really seen? Think of that for a minute, right? You're in the presence of many people, but yet feel alone. As I stated, we're going to look at the lives of two people today, the first two kings of Israel. And I'm going to present a message to you titled, Life and Labels, A Tale of Two Kings. Now, to give you a little background, okay, there was a man named Saul, and he was the first anointed king of Israel. But before he stepped in the kingship, okay, he was just a guy handling his father's affairs. So in 1 Samuel, we find Saul, okay, and I'm going to give you a little background before we begin reading, okay. Saul is with his servant, and a couple of his dad's donkeys run off, and he's going to find them, okay. So they're looking all over the place. They can't find them, and the servant says, hey, I know a man by the name of Samuel, and Samuel was a seer. If you're not familiar with that term, that's a seer is simply who or what prophets were called in the Old Testament. So they began, they used to be called seers, but now they're called prophets, okay? So the servant said, I heard about this dude named Samuel. He's a pretty cool guy, okay? He walks with God. He knows things, all right? How many of you want to be around the people that know things? So in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, we see that this is what the Bible says about Saul. It says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abil, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Now watch this. This is what the word of God says about Saul. And it says he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. First things first, write this down. Okay. When God's describing Saul here, he's describing me. I'm just kidding. It's a joke, okay? There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So this is telling us that Saul was that dude, okay? He was that guy, all right? Compared to everybody else, he was the one that everybody was giving the love letters to. Does everybody track me, okay? So this is what the Word of God says about him. Saul, legit that guy, tall, dark, and handsome. Here we go. So he went and he went to find the lost sheep 
okay? Or, excuse me, the lost donkeys that belonged to his father, and he met a man named Samuel, okay? Now, what he didn't know about the prophet Samuel at the time was, but, but God had been communicating with Samuel, okay? Because the people had been crying for a king, so God was communicating with Samuel prior to Saul coming to find him that Saul, that a guy was coming looking for some donkeys, and that guy would be the one that he chose to become the next king of Israel. Everybody tracking with me? So now let's go down a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 9, 18 to 22, and let's see their interaction. It says, Then Saul drew, new, drew near to the prophet Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. Remember, seer's a prophet. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys they were, that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all of your father's house? Now, let's break that down for a second, okay? Literally, this is now Samuel getting ready to communicate to Saul that God had chosen him, okay, to be the king, the first king of Israel. So he's presenting that concept, but he did it very subliminally. Now watch this, because this is where you got to really understand, or you're going to miss everything we're talking about, okay? And then Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak to me like this? Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in a place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. So let's break this down for a second. Go back to the beginning of what the word said when it introduced Saul. Tall, strapping, good looking guy. That's what the Bible said about Saul. But then when you get to verse 21, Notice, Samuel is literally telling Saul that he's headed towards greatness and that he is being chosen by God to be the king. Yet, in verse 21, look how Saul responds. Look at his perception versus God's perception. Think about this for a second. He says, why are you talking to me like this? I'm low. I'm the lowly person. And from this, we can see that it is clear that Saul does not have a healthy perspective of himself. Now, Scripture does not tell us where it came from, but we do know that it was present in its early origins. And you're going to find as we read today that the issues that he had inside that would go unresolved. And even though Samuel, from the Hearing the voice of God is literally throwing the kingdom at him and telling him God has chosen you and you're about to move into greatness, okay? You're going to find because Saul's internal issues were left unresolved that it would take from him everything that God had for him. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10, 24 through, 7, uh, 24 through 27. Now, before we start reading, I want to give you a little background, okay? Remember, Saul and, um, Saul and, and um, Samuel have already met. He knows that he's um, going to be king. He's anointed him. But now, okay, this is his big day, 
Okay, this is his moment. Saul is about to be presented to the people by the prophet. And that's where we pick up here in Samuel 10, 24 through 27. So Samuel gathers all the people and he says to the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. So they're literally setting everything up for Saul. They're teaching people how to act, how to treat a king. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him. So now he's got a posse, man. And if you've never watched Western movies, you don't know what a posse means. But so let's just put it like this. God even gave him some ride or dies. Okay? And I ain't talking no scrubs. Not making a TLC reference. But some rebel said, how can this man save us? Uh-oh. So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. Now let's think about this. You're getting presented before thousands of people here. You're getting, everyone's gathered around you. They're yelling, long live the king. But you always got a couple of busters. You always got a couple of haters sitting out there in the shadows throwing some shade. So they said, how can this man save us? Question to think about. How many times have you entered your biggest moment in life? And you expect it to be met with cheers and applause. But instead, you were met with criticism and crickets. I can remember when I was getting ready to graduate. I was so excited. We were ordering a cap and gown, and I literally had a teacher, okay? I literally had a teacher tell me, aren't you, aren't you lucky? Do you feel like you basically belong with everybody else? And it just dampered me because I'd worked so hard in credit recovery, not in the classroom, but I'd worked so hard in credit recovery to get there. It might be different for you, but all of us have had that moment where you thought for sure, this is my moment to shine, okay? And it was taken right under you. How did you react? Because we're going to keep reading and you're going to learn, okay, not to let those issues stick to your heart and stick in your mind. Because if we do, we're never going to find the greatness that God intended for us. But unfortunately, okay, King Saul would not be able to overcome the criticism and the labels of inadequacy that was placed on him. Tons of people came to celebrate his biggest moment, but he only remembered what his critics said. Saul would go on to carry this weight, and it would ultimately be the unraveling of his future as king. So what did that look like for King Saul? Well, you have to understand biblical customs for this to make sense. So let me explain before we continue reading. In the um, Israeli culture, okay, at this time, the prophet and the king typically worked side by side and together. The king had a role to go out and fight the battle, but it was the prophet that prepared the way, okay? So the prophet would go and offer a sacrifice, okay, before they went into battle. So as they were preparing to go to battle, Samuel the prophet tells Saul, wait for me, I'll be there, I'll offer up the sacrifice, I'll do my job, then you'll go out and fight and do your job, and then everybody's going to celebrate because we're going to win, okay? But guess what? Saul got a little patient because Samuel didn't show up when he thought he would show up. So Saul decides to offer an unlawful sacrifice, 
And this is where we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. And Samuel comes to Saul and says, what have you done? And Saul said, watch this. When I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. And I had not made supplication to the Lord. That wasn't his job to begin with. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt sacrifice. Now, before I move any further, you have to understand his motivation. Because remember, on his greatest moment, it was who that snatched it from him. People. People. Right? And now he steps out of his line, out of the authority of, that God had gave him, and he steps into a robe that was not his. Why? Because people. And we're going to find this common denominator as we continue. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. That was the intention, to give him a kingdom that would last forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. For the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord had commanded you. Do you see just this early the impact of him allowing those words to sink in his heart? Do you see what it did? It immediately began to rob and steal from him. And unfortunately, it wouldn't be the last time. But it says here, now, they get ready to battle again, okay? This is a repetitive thing. He can't shake it. He just can't get over the words and the opinions of people. So the Lord instructs Saul, okay, and instructs the prophet Samuel to go war against the Amalekites. The Amalekites were people that just harassed, continually harassed and attacked the Israelites, okay? But here's the deal. The Lord told Samuel to, to have Saul slaughter everybody. Man, woman, child, beast, you name it. Everything's got to die, okay? But guess what? When they go and they war against them, they do what they're supposed to do except a couple of things. First, King Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, he was supposed to be um, deceased as well. He was supposed to be took out. Guess what? Saul kept him. Then the people wanted something, so then Saul kept a couple of other things. And this was Samuel's response. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 24 through 25, it said, Then Saul said to Samuel, okay, because Samuel calls him out, and he says, Dude, what are you doing? Why didn't you listen to the voice of God? And Saul said, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Do I need to read it? Because I feared the what? People. The people. And obeyed who? Their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Now, this is the craziest part, okay? So we see that this wound has created a desire and a need for him to have the approval of the people even before that of God. But if you go down to 1 Samuel 15, uh, verse 30 and 31, let's read a little further. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please, before what? The elders of my people 
and before Israel. So I get it. You already told me that God removed his hand, that he's given the kingdom to another person, but you don't understand that I've been wounded and I've been hurt and I've carried that hurt with me. And now I need the opinion of the people. So even though I know the whole show is over with, can you come out with me and make it look good one more time? Why? So the people can give me what I desire and need the most. What blind perspective. But watch the love of God. But Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now I want to go back because I missed this and I want to make sure that I, that I put this in here so that you understand the shifting of Saul's perspective. He said, return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Isn't God Saul's God too? But now, guess what? Because he cared so much about pleasing people and what the people thought, he lost his perspective of what the Lord commanded. So now, instead of being driven by the command and the purpose and the will of God, he's driven by what the people think. So now he tells Samuel, I get it. I messed up. So let's worship one more time. Let's worship your God. Because there was a shift because he allowed the hurt to manifest in his life. And now there was a shift of what was in control of his actions. As I went over this story, and I'm talking for hours and hours, I played it on the way to school. Bella said, Dad, I'm going to remember it just like you. As I went over this story for hours and hours, there's honestly moments where I was literally moved to tears. Because I tried to really place myself in Saul's position. And imagine what it must have been like to have a king's world, to walk in a king's shoes, yet every night go home and live in a slave's quarter. Think about that. To have everything presented before you, but live in slavery and bondage up here. To be so blessed and gifted, but yet allow the words and the labels of others to rob your visibility. But this is the world we are in. Here lies the problem. Not only in the world, but in the church as well. Because there's a lot of people that sitting in here, my story is a little different. I'm sure it's different from yours. But we've allowed the words and the labels. They think they're all that. Da, 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 the lies, all of that. The belittlement to rob our visibility so that we truly cannot see the big picture you see, that's what prophets did. That's why they were called seers. They see things, and they saw the bigger picture. Samuel was so close. Just go read it. They were so close. It was an amazing relationship. Samuel was presenting the big picture to him of what it was supposed to look like, but he was stuck in one moment of pain. And how many of us have allowed ourselves to stay in one moment of pain as it robbed and sucked the life and the joy out of us? completely blinding us to the, to the plan, purpose, and the call of God on our lives. I'm a history teacher, okay? And, and, and some of my favorite things to teach is the medieval times. In the medieval warfare, okay, this, we're talking back in the days where they had high walls and towers, okay? When, when, when they wanted to minimize the loss of life, but they, at the same time they wanted to win the battle, they would launch flaming arrows, right? And they would use catapults to launch flaming balls, okay, into that kingdom. Now, they knew, okay, they knew that that arrow wasn't going to go through that brick, right? But they lit them so that the effects would linger and it would begin to burn. 
and burn and burn and burn. So with Saul in his situation, okay, because he didn't understand the, mes- the methods that I'm going to teach you today to disti- distinguish or extinguish those arrows, okay? He didn't understand that. It just began to burn and burn and burn. And ultimately, it would crumble his future. It would crumble the purpose and plan of God on his life. So ultimately, God would speak to Samuel again, okay? And he would bring in another king, who would withstand the belittlement, the feeling of being overlooked, the feeling of being an outcast. But guess what? Before David, the second king, okay, before he would ever become a king, he had to win the battlefield of the mind, the heart, and the soul. Because remember, our ultimate goal today is to get to that position. So God tells Samuel, okay, I want you to go to Jesse Okay, I want you to go to Jesse, and he has some sons, and the next king is going to be one of those sons. Okay, so let's read about that here in the scripture. In 1 Samuel 16, 8 through 13, Jesse called his older son Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. Is this the guy? And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all of the young men here? Then he said, well, Samuel, come to think of it, there remains the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. A.K.A. your boy David was a pooper scooper. Okay? So... And Samuel said to Jesse, send him here and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So Samuel, I mean, so they sent for David and brought him in. Now David was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, Samuel, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day on. So let's talk about it, okay? Let's, let's put some perspective here. David has these brothers that are, that are treated so much better than him, okay? He's overlooked. He's forgotten. He's living life in the valley of the shadows of poop, okay? Completely forgotten. His brothers were in Saul's army. They're esteemed. They're the ones that the father counts on. They're the ones that were brought out before the prophet. Surely it had to be one of them, But God chose David, the forgotten one. Now, David would be sent out there one day by Jesse because the Saul's, um, or David's brothers were in Saul's army and they were warring against the Philistines. They were preparing for for a fight. So Jesse sent David out there with some cheese, some um, refreshments and said, hey, go check on your brothers. Go to the front line, see how it's going. Let me know how your brothers are doing. So David gets out there and his brothers start going, what are you doing up here? Aren't you supposed to be with your sheep, making jokes, dissing, just treating them like garbage, right? Well, he gives them their goods, and he's getting ready to go on his way. All along, he's just letting the criticism go in, one ear out the other, right? Letting it bounce right off of him. Well, all of a sudden, y'all know the story. A man named Goliath, a giant, okay, begins taunting the people of Israel. 
And he taunted them day and night over and over again. And eventually David said, man, who is this guy? And, and, and what's up, man? Why are we letting him talk to us like this? So word gets out that David decided that he's going to challenge this giant, right? So David um, gets, they bring David before King Saul. And King Saul's like looking at him like, all right, this boy's about to take a L. But because you are willing to step up to the plate, okay, and challenge the giant, let's see what we can do for you to prepare you. So um, Saul tries his armor out on David, right? Because this is what manliness was in the society. If you could throw a spear, if you could wave a sword, yeah, then you looked the part and you were believed to be the part. But there was a problem. None of that stuff fit David, okay? But let me tell you something. There was something that did fit David, okay? And there was something that Saul didn't know about. There was something his brothers didn't know about while they were making fun of their brother out there in the field scooping the poop. And that was this, that while he was being a good steward, okay, and a faithful servant with the sheep, while he was scooping up the poop, okay, while he was doing the little things, guess what? There was a bear and a lion that tried to come after the sheep. And guess who took him out with that sling? He was preparing. He was getting himself ready. David had a story, and he tells it to Saul, and Saul's probably like, this boy is outside of his mind. But he's like, man, let me tell you something. I know that typically you fight with swords and that you fight with armor and shields, but let me tell you something. I got this leather sling, man, and I've taken out a couple of bears and lions with it. What do you think? He gave him a little hunger games. All right, may the odds forever be in your favor. But David goes out, and despite all odds, despite the criticism, despite the belittlement, guess what? He knocks that giant out and takes off his head and parades it around the city. Now watch this. This is where we get to the fork in the road. This is where the collision of the two kings begins, okay? Watch this. When David paraded Goliath's armor, he put it in his tent and paraded around. Guess what? The people come back into play. The people come back into play. And guess what? The people began to sing. Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And then we get the trigger moment. What's your trigger moment? Saul was triggered because the people that used to sing about him, the people that he fought so hard to gain their approval, to get their acknowledgement, are now singing the praise of somebody else. And Saul would go on to dedicate the rest of his life to destroying David. The unresolved issues, the hurt, the pain, and the insecurity of his critics would consume him, distort his vision, and ultimately steal what God had for him. Though David was mocked, belittled, and overlooked by his fathers and brothers, he found peace in preparation. He knew who he was in the eyes of God, and he did not allow his situation or the labels and the words that were placed on him by other people to rob him of the fact that though he smelt like poop, inside of him was a king. So how do you do that? How do you get that perspective that leads you to a path 
of freedom. Let's talk about it. First things first, this is what David did. He mastered the art of solitude. Now let's go back to David in the, in the, in the fields with the sheep, right? When I was in middle school, when I was in high school, we got some middle schoolers and high schools in here. One of the things that I feared the most, one of the things that I dreaded the most was sitting alone, right? Nobody wants to be that guy or that girl sitting alone in the cafeteria, looking like you don't have any friends, looking like a zero, right? But David had a different perspective. He could have used that time in solitude out there with the sheeps pooping everywhere. He could have used that, that moment and he could have sulked, felt sorry for himself, felt like the world was against him, tweeted about everybody on Twitter. But what did he do? He got good with what God gave him. He discovered who he was. He discovered that I'm something with this sling. I may not wave a sword like Abinadab. Yeah, I may not wave my sword like King Saul on him, but I'm something with this sling. I'm kind of special with this thing. You see, sometimes what you think is rejection and isolation is really sanctification for, and preparation. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to say that one more time. Sometimes what you feel like is rejection and isolation is really sanctification, a.k.a. set apart and preparation. So you have to begin to allow yourself in those, uh, to understand in those moments where you feel alone, where you feel like people at work are gossiping about you and hating on you for no reason, when you feel like they're labeling you wrong and you're judging, they're judging you wrong so you're all alone. What if God was preparing you for something because he's about to bring somebody into your path that needs you to share your experience with them? It's all about perspective. Number two, this is how David overcame, okay? This is how he overcame the labels. He learned to be comfortable in his own skin. He learned to be comfortable in his own skin. Going back to the story of David and Goliath. When Saul brought him in, remember, Saul tried all kinds of stuff on him, okay? That's like me trying to wear Josh's clothes. It ain't going to work. I'm about 75 pounds short on the muscle department, okay? Because Saul was huge, man. Scripture told us that. So he's trying all Saul's armors on David, and he's just like, man, at the end of the day, this ain't going to work, man. I, I can't use this. David had grown and developed his identity in solitude, so he understood himself, and he was comfortable with who he was, so he didn't want to go out with something unfamiliar and try to win a battle with somebody else's tools and win a battle with somebody else's armor. You must be comfortable in your own skin. Listen to me, young people. I coach, I teach. When you're at my basketball practice, we listen to that Jesus rap. Everybody got me? And I don't care if people laugh at me. I don't care if they belittle me. And I don't care if they mock me. You better not hide yourself. My daughter's on the team. She knows I'm telling the truth. You better not hide yourself. If you're going to be great and walk in the path of a king, young people, you better let them know who you really are. Because I would rather let people make fun of the real me and belittle the real me than love the fake me, the person that I'm really not. And, G and, and David saw this giant and he said, look, I get it, man. I get what you want me to wear. And I really get 
how you want me to go out there and, and fight like y'all do, but that's not the way I get down. So when they're asking you to go out and do things that are opposite of the way you were trained, that are opposite of the way you were raised, that are opposite of the kingdom of God and his plan for your life, you got to begin to get comfortable in your own shoes, young people, and tell them, I get that that's the way you do business. I get that that's the way you operate, but I'm going to be comfortable in my own skin over here on the path towards greatness. I hope y'all are listening to what I'm saying. You've got to be comfortable in your own skin to ever be great. If not, people are just going to love this false version of you that isn't even real. And Saul wanted that. Last but not least, if you're truly going to be free in your soul, you got to find Mephibosheth. Now, this is where everybody goes, huh? Mephibosheth? Yeah, I get it. Okay. I didn't hear that name in my hood growing up. All right. Y'all can laugh. I know I'm trying to give a little humor. And Mephibosheth was actually the grandson of a man that we talked about named King Saul. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a great deal about Mephibosheth, but we do know, okay, that he was Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, and that the Bible says that he was crippled. And one day, Scripture tells us that David was looking to show the kindness of God. Now, you got to think about Saul. Saul dedicated his whole life to destroying David because he lost his mind. But David was prosperous in his soul. He was healthy in his soul. So he said, let me find anybody. He sent his servant out. Go find me a descendant of Saul so that I can show him the kindness of God. So the servants go and they're looking for one of Saul's descendants. They're looking for someone from Saul's family. And they found this crippled dude named Mephibosheth. And David calls him to come see him. Now, you got to understand something. Let's, let's paint the whole perspective here. If you, if you ever watch any kind of night shows or you know history, you understand kings, new kings don't like to look over their shoulder. So if they felt like you was going to be a threat, you out of there, bro. You out. Okay? So Mephibosheth's getting carried in. He, he's crippled. And he probably is thinking right now, like, this is it. Okay? This is the end of my life. But this is what David says. David says to him in 2 Samuel 9, 7 through 8, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the lands of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continuously as the sons of the king. Then Mephibosheth bowed himself down and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Woo! Now think back to Pastor Dave's message last week. Like father, like son. Because he talked about how there's things sometimes, and there's, there's a reason we need to go back and look at our parents' backgrounds. Because we can learn from it so that we know how to deal with problems and situations that might arise. And if you can remember what Saul said about himself, even though he was going to be anointed king, we see now that his grandson, Mephibosheth, is now battling the same thing. And David, a guy who had never experienced kindness, who lived the first half of his life in the shadows, being talked about, being lied about, being um, belittled, being made fun of, is now saying, 
even though I've never experienced kindness from the people who were supposed to love me, from the father who was supposed to build me up, to the father who was supposed to place an identity inside of me, I don't got it all figured out, but I'm going to go find Mephibosheth, and I'm going to show him the kindness of God. Even though he feels like he's a dog, even though he feels like his life's worth nothing, even though he's scared of his life, I'm going to put him at the table of the king and he's going to eat with me like he is one of my sons. Do you understand what I'm saying? In Mephibosheth, we see the idea that he wasn't enough, just like his father Saul thought or grandfather Saul thought, and that he needed people to validate his existence. I mentioned before, have you ever felt like you were seen, but yet not seen? Can you imagine carrying the weight of a failed kingdom? Now you're a cripple because your mama dropped you running from the Philistines. Can you imagine that? What it's like to be surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people, but feel like the smallest thing in the room. This was the life of Mephibosheth. This is the life of many people, not just in the world, but in the church, if we'd be honest and truly admit it. In the midst of trying to find ourselves, in the midst of trying to discover who we are and become comfortable with that, there's a lot of hurt and the pain that can arise. But it's important, okay, as we discuss with David, that you master the art of solitude. And when the Lord reveals your gifts, your callings, your purpose and abilities inside of you that you become comfortable with it, don't hide it. Young people, don't hide it. It will derail you. And when you become comfortable with who you are and you begin to step from the land of hurt into the land of promise and destiny, you got to remember why the Lord got you there. He got you to freedom. He got you to prospering in your soul so that you could find Mephibosheth. Because you see, Mephibosheths are everywhere. Sometimes they're the people, the very people that are hating on you and talking trash about you. And if we become so self-centered, if we become so blinded by our own hurts, we'll become completely consumed with us that we don't see the hurts that are in others around us. But David, because he knew who he was, was able to see the lost. And he was able to take somebody that was broken from the pain of life, that was crippled from life, that felt like a zero, and make him a hero at the table of the king. Today, we looked at the life of two kings. One was robbed of greatness because he couldn't move beyond the point of hurt from the labels, the hateful words, and the rejection that he experienced. The other chose to better himself in the isolation of rejection and the belittlement of his family and refused to carry the bitterness. And as a result, he was able to find and restore Mephibosheth. Now, I don't want to belittle or lighten 
anybody's experience or their story. I know that we've all gone through hurtful things and situations. I know many people, including myself, have had a hard life. But I do want you to know that today, your mind, your heart, and your soul can be made free. God does not want your life dampened by the labels and the scars that were placed upon you. He wants you to receive his healing and move forward into his purpose and plan for your life. We talk about mental health often in society. This is what I think about that. You want joy? You want joy in your life? Let me take you back to 90s church camp, okay? You want joy? This is what joy is. Jesus, others, and you. Jesus, others, and you. You see, because there's Mephibosheths everywhere. They are broken, hurting, and crippled. And God is saying, now that I've healed you, okay, if you're claiming to be a believer, now that I've healed you and made you a joint heir, is what scripture says, I've made you anointed, appointed, a called, chosen king and priest. We are now kings under the covenant of Jesus Christ. And I've learned this in my 34 years on the planet, that people who feel like kings, it's easy for them to treat people like kings. People that feel good about themselves and people that are healthy in their soul, it's easy for them to uplift and treat other people like they matter. That's why as an educator, people are like, how do you relate with kids? It's easy because I found the key. I found the key to freedom and peace in my soul. So it's easy to see that kid that was just like me, to see that kid that everybody's given up on and elevate them, to put them at the table so that they can see with the right perspective who God has created and designed them to be. I'm not speaking to your hurts and pains anymore. I'm speaking to the king and the queen in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? We gotta get healthy so that we can find Mephibosheths and get them here at the table of the avenue. And this is why it's important for us to be in small groups. Y'all knew that was coming. Okay? You're going to get an opportunity today to learn what it is about, to sign up, and to go to work, okay, a new person, a rejuvenated, restored person with the right perspective. And just like David did, I want to adjust your perspective and challenge you everywhere you go, even if it's the people hating on you, criticizing you, trying to make you feel small, telling you you think you're all that, right? Even if it's them, restore them. Restore such. And then hook up in your small groups and get the tools to learn how to do it better. Right? The Bible says we get healing and freedom from confessing things to one another. We can't do that in isolation. I'm going to close with this story. When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, okay, we're talking about joy here. A lot of people may, may know this, you may not, but he wrestled with this. Jesus wrestled with it, man. 
to the point where he was crying tears of blood. Because the Bible says that Jesus, okay, could have sent down legions of angels. He didn't have to go to the cross, okay? He could have stayed in the hurt and the offense of people that were ripping out his beard, mocking him, belittling him, saying, if you're really the son of God, he could have stayed in that moment and sent legions down from heaven and completely wiped out mankind and said, I'll start again. But scripture later tells us, for the joy that was set before him. We are the joy that was set before him. So you see this same perspective that David had, that I spoke of, Jesus, others, and you, for the joy that was set before him. He was already Jesus, and he had his perspective, not on his own hurt and the pains of the cross, but on you. But the choice is ours. We know. We know now. And I believe that everybody in here is going to take the path of David. And that is to push past the hurt and allow God to change our mindset about who we are and who he created us to be. Does everybody understand? Y'all go ahead and stand up with me real quick. I'm going to have um, the band um, play the song, speak the name of Jesus. And I want to say a prayer over you to set you free, okay? I want to say a prayer over you. And then if you're not saved and you say, man, I want to be at that table. I'm a fibber chef and I want to be healed. I want to overcome brokenness and depression. Then we're going to get you saved today. Everybody understand? If you feel like lifting your hands, lift your hands with me. If not, that's fine, but bow your eyes with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for the word that came forth today, Father. I thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice, online or in this building, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that healing is moving through this room, that peace is moving through this room. And the weight and the shackles of depression and pain and shame from the labeling, the hateful words, and the criticisms are breaking off your people, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you're giving them a new heart and that you're producing godly fruit inside of them. I thank you, God, that from this day on, everyone in this room has a new perspective, a perspective of hope, peace, and joy. Joy that is Jesus, others, and you. May you show unto them in their moments of solitude the gifts and abilities that you placed inside of them, the things that you called them to do and give them the grace to be comfortable with it, Lord, so that they can go find the lost, the hurting, and the dying. And now, if you're not saved, repeat this after me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I confess my sins, and I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. From this day on, I will follow you. I am free, I am whole, and my soul is healed. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.